0: The Squirrel was magic! Do you like zombies, video games, and risking your life from the comfort of your own home? Then tune in to Ashley's Zombie, Saturdays, 9.30 Central, 10.30 Eastern Standard Time, only on Magic Squirrel Network. You wear your human heart, this is Diabolical Index for Monday, April 1st, 2019, where the pages of The Uncanny Reside. This is Corey Dawson as always, or not as always, it's been a very long time since I've been in here, and uh, what's that? i'm plug in. This could not possibly be my fault. This is all the equipment's fault. But I have equipment that's also faulty up here. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's been a long time since I've done this. Um, I've been away, trials, tribulations, things like that. But um, there's a lot of great things ahead. It seems like uh, whenever something bad happens or I get thrown into the mud or cast into the abyss, it seems like uh, if I wait around long enough... Opportunity presents itself. So, Ashley, Ashley Zombie is in the house tonight. It is uh, Ashley Zombie month. You may have heard the bumper at the very beginning of the show. Uh, definitely check her out Saturdays, uh, nine thirty Central, and ten thirty Eastern Standard, which is uh, where we're at. I've had a lot of people asking me if um, if my time coincided with their time, and I guess I I don't think about it that much, especially when I'm talking to people from you know. Upward oh, in Indiana area or uh so you know I'm talking to people from Australia, Indiana, California, all over the place. So usually the people I uh I assume it's going to be a little bit out of out of range. I usually make adjustments for that, but Whew. harsh. <laughs> harsh. Oh well. Oh well. Uh, I can't even imagine how I could possibly look like... Well, maybe... I don't know. I don't know. Has Brad Pitt ever played a... Uh, a middle-aged... graying... Uh, Benjamin Button? Book Loser? What's that now? Benjamin Button? Benjamin Button. Uh, no, he was... He just kind of went from... hot to old... in that movie, so... I don't think that really qualifies. He was never in a... shallow how... reversal situation... or whatever. Hey, there, you know? But... Yeah, absolutely. Onward and upward... Um, Mr. Gully, uh, it's always with the Mr. I, I always just hit him with a, Oh, okay. Yeah. Fury. I barely, uh, I barely got through that movie. I don't know. It seemed like in a lot of ways it was, uh, it was kind of hardship for hardship's sake on that one. But anyways, um, yes, Onward and Upward definitely. And I want to talk about a couple of things before I, uh, I get into the the actual meat of the thing, and hopefully all of you checked out the preface on Anchor. I started, um, doing a, a little, I don't know, kind of a supplementary, um, audio only part of the podcast, and I, uh, put it directly on Anchor earlier today, kind of talking a little bit about the themes, and I, I'm starting to wonder if maybe I, I kind of, um, uh, focused on one part of it and maybe there's going to be some confusion. So maybe a disclaimer at the beginning, uh, is good. This isn't going to be another, um, book to movie comparison. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, uh, I, I had done that right before I left, uh, books versus movies when it comes to, uh, different portrayals and, and, uh, situations of books that have been translated and all that kind of stuff. This, this isn't going to be like that. This is, um, this is a little bit more, um, I guess you'd say, kind of esoteric when it comes to character, why characters change, is it important that they change, what happens after the change occurs, and it all has to do with public opinion or, um, or what people find in different adaptations and movies and stuff. So um, I'll talk about that, and it'll, it'll be more clear as I talk about that, especially since there is there was an inciting incident. On that, but I'll get into that in a minute. First, I did want to mention uh, my good friends Henry Hayes and Charlie from the Tales from the Bud podcast. Uh, they had a fantastic uh, little ensemble that happened uh, probably over the last couple of weeks. I don't know how long it's been really, but uh, they got like I said, I was talking to people from all over the place, and most of it was from the people that I had met through um, Tales from the Bud. And the uh, the ensemble cast they put together for their episode Feed, which is uh, up on the Anchor site. I believe it's... I don't know if it's on YouTube yet, but it's all over the place. So look for Tales from the Bud, uh, and the episode is entitled Feed. I have a little uh, cameo in there as a cop. I have like three lines, and it was a total blast. So I definitely wanted to shout them out. Um, check them out. They're on Anchor. And they mentioned a bunch of podcast sites that I've never even heard of before. So just look around. You'll find them. And um, it's definitely interesting. It kind of has a, uh, the boy kind of feel to it. Really grisly. Uh, a lot of fun. So hopefully um, there will be more of those to come with the team that uh, that they assembled for that. Uh, and uh, And so there you go. Uh, that's one thing to mention. The other thing I wanted to bring up was very, very soon now. I almost lost track of time with it, to be honest. It's uh, it's almost upon us. The Midwest Action Fest. The second annual Mid- Midwest Action Fest. The uh, Midwest Horror Fest was such a success that they ended up adding an action uh, entry for that. So the second one will be happening uh, the weekend of April 19th and 20th. So definitely, if you are anywhere near Logan'sport, go up and support them fantastic people they're gonna be magicians, all kinds of uh directors filmmakers uh writer in fact uh they're gonna be there's gonna panel they asked me to be part of a panel called Writing one o one and it kind of blew my mind really uh where that came from but um Tom commissar. Uh, from HMM Films is going to be part of that, as well as Cameron Scott. And uh, Cameron has been a part of so many things that, to be honest, I can't even remember them all. Um, So definitely look up those two guys on IMDb and you'll see what I'm talking about. But uh, I'm going to be sitting with them at the the table and talking about writing. I'm not exactly sure what I'm in for, but hopefully I'll be able to put some insight in there in some kind of fashion. In one way or another... Uh, I, my orbit touches a lot of writers and, and stuff. And I do, I don't know what you would call it. I mean, I guess I do some freelance editing and, and beta reading and all that type of stuff. But I, I am in contact with a lot of writers and from what it seems like more and more lately, uh, for whatever reason. And it's, it's been totally great. Uh, so definitely if you're into independent film, uh, action is when it comes to independent uh, conventions for film. It seems like action just seems to be a... Uh, it's going to end up in there. Probably a cross-genre type of thing. You know, genre-bending stuff. You can throw some action in there. It'll make sense. have a have ho- ho- a horror element. But um, this is specifically for action films. And it's been a total blast. Last year was unparalleled. So... Uh, Midwest Horror Fe- or Midwest, sorry, excuse me, Midwest Action Fest, April nineteenth and twentieth, Logansport, Indiana, at the historic State Theater. Uh, make sure you check out uh, all that they have to offer in that area. Kokomo, if you're passing through, is really awesome too. And so, speaking of indie films, there are a couple of Indiegogos that I wanted to make sure. Um, Mr. Gully would only be saying this stuff on April Fool's Day. Just flat out. Maybe not. I don't know. But, any um, uh, indie film. Indiegogo. There are two campaigns I want to talk about. And uh, one of them is the uh, Roman Joe Sartre back in the news once again with Studio 605 and his uh, Fiends and Horrors film They Need Your Help. And uh, he's rounded up uh, a Motley crew, a cavalcade of horror filmmakers from all over the place. Uh, you got the Wicked One himself, Jack Norman is in on that. Uh, author of the the Dane Granger series and the film, director of the film, Stephanie Hensley, will also be there. Um, let's see, Jason Crow, uh, he's involved in Don't Fuck in the Woods too, and many other things, the bad man, he'll be on uh, on hand, as well as uh, Brady Myers from the uh, Prophecy Productions film uh, I think it premiered at Horror Hound just recently. All who follow, so definitely check that out. Throw some money their way, uh, indiegogo.com. Look up uh, Roman Joe Sarts, fiends and horrors. Uh, also, Concept Media, the inimitable, the infamous Concept Media. They uh, they are bringing their Bigfoot epic Stranded to Indiegogo campaign. And it, from what I've seen so far, it looks insane. Totally insane. And you would also be insane if you didn't check out the live... What do you think of that? <laughs> I like that subway. that uh, The Facebook live auction. Uh, TJ from Heckles & Horror is going to be leading that. And having uh, Director Sean Burkett on site. They're going to have all kinds of craziness uh, in store for you to help out with their Indiegogo campaign. That's going to be... Is that Saturday? Or that's tomorrow, Tuesday, 7 p.m. Uh, definitely check that out. Uh, is that going to be on Heckles and Horror site? Yeah. Okay, so check out Heckles and Horror uh, tomorrow night at 7 for the uh, live Facebook auction uh, benefiting stranded concept media films coming out about Bigfoot. So that is that. Got anything else? All right, I think that's all my shout outs that I wanted to do. So, okay. Basically, this was a, an unusual uh, idea that I had for an episode that kind of came to me uh, in the midst of everything that was happening. Um, I kind of went back. I was looking for kind of a good place to start again with, uh, with reading, with everything that occurred. Um, I just found myself without a whole lot of focus. So I went back to the beginning of Clive Barker's um, catalog, and I started with the Books of Blood, uh, series, and while I was reading those, because it's, uh, the Books of Blood have multiple short stories, novellas, novelettes inside those, and, um, they were just as lush and unique as I remembered, um, it's classic Barker, if anyone's ever read the, the Books of Blood, or, uh some of the ones that are called Books of Blood in the UK, but over here they have their own titles, Human Condition in the Flesh. Um Clyde Barger has two he kind of has two uh speeds. He writes the short and he writes the long. There's hardly any of his any of his stuff that you would call medium sized. It's either this epic sweeping fantastical, phantasmagorical insanity that's, you know, in it door stops like in the realm of 800 pages and things like that. Just totally world building on a scale like you wouldn't believe. And on the other hand, he's got short stories that could happen next door. And there's, I mean, there's always a, uh, there's a, there's always, uh, an element of familiarity to the stuff, which makes the, the fantasy and the, completely terrifying horror body horror mind shredding horror uh even more difficult to uh, to take without some sort of impact without some sort of imprint on you um but something happened and it it really upset me a lot, and it got me to thinking about uh, the topic that I had in mind this time around. I called it. I called. I, I was kind of struggling for what to call this episode, and I had to go back. It's been so long. He said it was six months or something. That's way, 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 way too long. Um, but I had to look back and see what number it was, and I was trying to come up with a subtitle for it, and. What I finally came up with was Baker's Lament, which is kind of a, a play on the lament configuration and, uh, and Barker's problems and his, uh, the terrifying things that happened to him around the time uh, when he was in convalescence, writing one of the books that I'm going to talk about. Uh, okay. Natalie's on board. All right. Thanks for stopping by, Natalie. And, oh, man, all kinds of people showing up. Um, I think it's uh, Fiends and Horror, if that's what you're trying to... Or is it the other way around? I thought it was Fiends and Horror. It's Horror and Fiends. I, I have the You Oh, okay. That's my fault then. I I think I, I said it wrong. So it's Roman Joe Sart's uh, Horrors and Fiends. Okay. But... Um, is it J? Yes, <laughs> Joe Sart. Um, but what happened? was while I was reading the, the short stories in Barker's collections, early collections, I decided to break out uh, the, I think they called it novella. It's difficult to say because it's, it's small. It's bigger than a short story. I can't remember what the uh, statistics or what the criteria for novel, novelette, short story, different things like that. I don't know what the length would be, but... I was in it's definitely in the neighborhood of a really long short story or a really short novel. So but the uh the basis for the movie Hellraiser, the Hellbound Heart uh easily one of the best um I guess one of the most realized book to film I've I've ever read. Um and mostly because of there were so many tonal things and so many elements that weren't hitting you overhead and, and a whole lot of non specific things that were translated to film in Hellraiser that existed in the hellbound heart. And it's painful talking about the Hellraiser movie franchise due to, Uh, due to some of the things that occurred with that, that have mostly to do with um, the rights. Clyde Barker signed over the rights to the characters and situations in Hellraiser, and then over time, he got out, they retained the rights, and to keep those rights, they ended up doing some of the worst sequels that have ever existed in the history of horror cinema and mostly it, it it comes from uh taking scripts that hadn't been picked up scripts that weren't interesting and just taking the skeleton of those scripts and plugging pinhead and some centibites in there and all of a sudden you have a hellraiser film so the question is when you think of the hellbound heart and if anyone hasn't read the hellbound heart please if you lo- if you like the hellraiser film and if you don't like the hellraiser film definitely check out the hellbound heart because it explores a lot of the things about the um the group of creatures in the in the film called the cenobites that is lost to as far as as far as i'm concerned every movie after the third film um because there's this, there's this idea in the book where pain is not a... Pain is a relative um, concept with boundaries and frontiers and, uh, and limits that when they're crossed then kind of like the line between its opposite number, which would be pleasure, becomes skewed. It becomes shady. Because uh, in the book, the villain of the piece, which is not who is called Pinhead in the film, the villain of the piece is actually uh, the, the brother of one of the main characters, Frank. Frank who anyone who's seen the movie knows that he's the one that spends most of his time without a skin on but in the book it's established that what he considers pain is actually pleasure and sensation that is like amplified beyond the nth degree so he feels everything he you know he he was looking for pleasure he was looking for sensation past anything that the human That his human experience hadn't, you know, gone further than. So, be careful what you wish for. It's like the basis of hell. The basis of every bad story that anyone has ever heard about hell and the denizens of hell and the, kind of like the bargain makers of hell. Um, Be careful what you wish for. He wished for more sensation. And they give it to him. And he regrets his decision. So, basically, what goes wrong in, in the films later? And I'm kind of I'm tangential here, but um, what goes wrong in the films is they start talking about punishment, and they start talking about sin, and that's kind of the basis of what happened next. When I was reading *The Hellbound Heart*, I read it from cover to cover. It had been a while, not so long that I forgot everything, uh, but long enough that it seemed like really and truly fresh to me again. So I read it, and it was mostly in service of uh, I was trying, I was going to give The Scarlet Gospels a shot, which, as far as I know, is Barker's newest work. And it had kind of been heralded as the return of Pinhead and the end of Pinhead at the same time. Just to put it out there right away, Pinhead is not the name that is used for the Cenobite in the book. Uh, and when it was translated to the movie, he didn't have a name there either. Pinhead actually came from of v- like the viewing of the character, and as far as I know, I think he was called Lead Cenobite up until then and I'm not even sure if he had a name in the book now that I think about it I think they just called him The Cenobite and uh, I may have been looking at that one the whole time and uh, what happened was when I went to read the Scarlet Gospels after reading The Hellbound Heart and granted this is like decades of time in between The Hellbound Heart and The Scarlet Gospels and people had been waiting for this for a long time for the return of these characters because the landscape is so rich everything that Clive Barker does there's a richness and a lushness and a I almost want to say a depraved but I think that it's more along the lines of a uh, this under underworld that exists like you know just beneath our normal life so I started reading the Scarlet Gospels, and I got so pissed and disgusted that I couldn't finish it, which is rare for me. It's only happened a couple of times, but I would like to think that uh, there are valid reasons for for each of the times that i couldn't that I couldn't hang with it and as soon as I read. I read the the beginning and I started to read kind of like the... I mean, I guess you'd say I read the foreword or the prologue and then I started getting into the the meat of the thing and I ended up being so disappointed and angry that I couldn't go any further. So I decided not to have a full-scale analysis of, of everything like I normally do with two books and I compare them compare and contrast them, um, I decided not to do that this time because what was more important is was the idea that the public or the powers that be or some sort of uh, engineered status quo, sometimes that can completely transform and skew characters um, that have become iconic, and the main question is: Would the character of what he was to explain, the, you know, the name of this character he decided was Hell Priest, which is it is kind of. I mean, I'm not going to say it's not a script because it's definitely a script. It's it's very direct, but if anything these characters required subtlety and when it began what i noticed was how the character had been um counterfeited it was completely counterfeited to this uh movie to this sham movie version of the character and basically, in the Hellbound Heart, Pinhead is a is an underling, um, albino. I think they say like quasi Asian features, and not this foreboding, um, stately, kind of uh, regal, priestly presence that you see uh, in the Hellraiser film which everybody came to regard as one of the most iconic horror characters that had ever existed. Um, it's on every list. He's on every uh, poster that shows, uh, you know, uh, kind of like a, a cavalcade of horror icons. But that's, that's where the problem starts, because for me, I was okay with this I was okay with the change because the change was so striking the character was so striking and it left such an impression on me that and now i'm talking about the first two films as far as i'm concerned everything after that is just insanely bad but there was there was there was something that was established in the first two films that took the character and gave it a definite form so that's that's kind of where my problem comes in. That kind of I knew that my next episode was going to be on this problem. And I'm curious to see what everyone uh what everyone else feels about it if they've read um either or both. If you were to read I think if you were to read the Scarlet Gospels, only having seen the first two films, you'd probably still feel the same way. Oh, yeah, TJ, flat out, man, the hellbound heart. Definitely try that, but but anyone can do whatever they want. Like, total disclaimer, I meant to actually do it at the very beginning. These are all my opinions. This is the way that I took this. But I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who cared. I mean, there are people who completely go after things for sheer entertainment and they, they aren't touched. They aren't, um, things don't change them when it comes to entertainment, when it comes to literature or any sort of fictional anything, they just do it for fun. They go for the thrills. They go for the mystery. They go for the romance They go for the whatever. And they're out and they kind of put it on and take it off like a coat. There are those people Sometimes I envy those people. I'm not one of those people. So. You remember the character. From the Hellbound Heart. You see the films. And you see the character. Of Pinhead. Pinhead as he's known. In the films. Which is okay. Place marker name. You read the Scarlet Gospels. Or attempt to. And within the space of it was probably something like 20 pages. It may have been 15. At the very beginning, they cheapened and lessened and destroyed that character. They destroyed the original character and they destroyed the iconic character. And I think that this is definitely, it's an example of I mean, I guess it's kind of like the thesis of the whole original story. Like, be careful what you wish for. Because I read as far as I read, and it wasn't very far. I read through the very... I was waiting for something to change. I was waiting for it all to be a joke. I was waiting for it all to be this insane, divine crock. And it wasn't. Uh, and all I could think of first thing, it was, it was emblazoned on my mind was that something happened. Something went wrong. Cause I knew Clyde Barker had some serious health problems. Um, I, I don't know if it was throat cancer. He had to have surgery. I think he ended up getting, um, pneumonia or meningitis or something. I, I guess I should have looked up what was wrong with him, but I was so incensed by what had happened. I I just didn't, I didn't do enough research on what was wrong with him at the time. But all I could think of was when I was reading it was that it was ghostwritten. Someone else had written it. They were hired by someone, him, his estate, whatever his agent, who knows? I don't know how that stuff works, but someone else must've been hired to write this book because there were no hallmarks of Clyde Barker's writing, and like I said, it's it's my own opinion, but I would like I would like to think that if I was so wrong, I went on the internet, I scoured the internet for any sort of answers as to why this would have happened, and uh, like I said, I didn't go all the way through, but I read all kinds of statements from other people talking about stuff that happened later in the book, and. One thing that was introduced in the book and in the film was this, not a vague concept, but sort of a um, implied concept of the thought of hell. Like they would refer to something as hell, but it wouldn't be like capital H E double hockey stick hell. This would be the hell of getting what you deserve or what you ask for. What you ask for, you get it, And you regret it. And that's this hell. It's not so much a punishment as much as a granting. You're getting wishes granted. It's actually closer to a djinn than anything else. So, when... I mean, in the movie, they started making allusions to kind of like the Judeo-Christian hell. And the messiahs and all that stuff. In the movies, and it was all shitty. Anyway, so like I I didn't pay much attention then. But in in the Scarlet Gospels, it started to go into that. It started to uh infuse this It's a small mythology, but it was very very rich in the Hellbound Heart and in the the Hellraiser film. Realized, completely realized. Um and especially since you I mean There are things that you fill in from your own experience when you don't have the entire story. We become so obsessed with knowing every single element, even if it has to be made up. I wonder if people even realize that some of the things, some of the, the information and the elements that show up on message boards, I think a lot of it ends up being conjecture because there's mysterious, there are mysterious things I mean, in religions, they call them mysteries. There are things that don't have explanations. And, you know, as much as confusing as things can be, I think that when you, when you ask to see behind the curtain and you want to know every mechanism, something's going to be lost. So I under, what I understand from the stuff that I read is that, like, the devil takes a holiday and Pinhead is looking for the job. And that likes it. that's another thing with the Pinhead thing. Um it becomes this meta craziness because he's not his name isn't Pinhead. People call him that for the film. Yet in the book people take shots at him by calling him Pinhead. They insult him with the name and the Whoever the author is, I cannot be convinced that it was, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give benefit of the doubt and say maybe it was partly Clive Barker somewhere. Some of the names, um, definitely, uh, kind of smacked of Clive Barker, but it could have been a thing where he had some notes written. I mean, I, uh, I did do some reading on that and as far as I can tell, he had this gigantic uh, outline for, for doing this final work, but, but he ended up being sick at the time and they weren't quite sure if he was going to survive. So it really makes me wonder. And I really hesitate to, you know, use the word cash grab, but at some point something bad happened because, satan is involved and heaven is involved and god is involved and people use words in the movies and there are words used in the hellbound heart hellbound heart but it's lowercase g it's lowercase h and it's kind of like these avatars of hell and when uh Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, Jennifer, Hey Mel, I'm glad you're here. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, like it's been totally cheapened, completely cheapened. I mean, even the, I I mean, I I haven't even gotten to some of the worst parts yet. Um, the, the grandeur, that's a, that's what I want to get across the grandeur of what he had created is completely destroyed in the first 10 pages of that book because hell priest who doesn't like to be called pinhead because of this weird winkety wink comment that comes out from basically he ends up hunting down these magicians. There are these magicians who have secrets that they don't want to give up. And for some reason, pinhead is hunting these people and wants them as if he required any kind of power from any sort of magical human being what for it ends up being this weird coup d'etat where he's like going for he's going for the lead motherfucker in hell and it's completely ridiculous when it comes to like what what the character had been established to be maybe Part of the problem is that it's such a drastic jump from those two things that, and I've heard, I read also that there is a, uh, a novel that takes place in the interim between these two books uh, written by another writer, and I'm starting to wonder if that writer could have had something to do with Scarlet Gospels. It just seems kind of strange to me that these things would come out at once. It's called The Toll. I'm really, I'm kind of curious to read it if it would make any sort of sense or lift this up in any way because at one point, if anyone knows anything about Pinhead at one point, Pinhead treats this woman like a dog or treats this man like a dog and has this man pretty much rape this woman and then give birth to some kind of Offspring that you would think, like, becomes, you know, Pinhead's, like, familiar or something or whatever, but it being born, like, tears this woman apart, and there's all this shit, and... If anything... I mean, it, it seems kind of like a, a pretty... Uh, pretty thin distillation of Pinhead, but if anything, Pinhead has this smarmy politeness he's crudeness doesn't enter into his vocabulary pinhead is not crude and i think that the, that may even be why why like hannibal lecter has that uh mystique as he does and they kind of share this mystique and um The way he's portrayed in the beginning of that book. And oh yeah, and another thing, and another thing. I honestly, physical appearance doesn't matter to me. As much as having the tone correct. There have been, and okay, I have a, I'm going to do a little interjection here. One of the things I was going to mention was the difference between the John Constantine from the Hellblazer comics and the Constantine film with Keanu Reeves. John Constantine is blonde, British, bisexual. There are many differences between Hellblazer John Constantine and John Constantine from the Keanu Reeves film. I hadn't read Hellblazer, and I only found out about Hellblazer later. Constantine was a brilliant film. It, and th- and that fell in between the Judeo-Christian belief system. So, like, nothing was, you know, torn apart. Nothing was drugged through the mud uh, from that. So, that's another thing. Like, if it was just a, a physical difference, and in this case, there was a physical difference between uh, the description in the in the book... Of a character that was much more of a minor character than he was to become, or even saying he is is difficult when you think about the Hellbound Heart character that Pinhead is derived from. There's androgyny to the character. There's kind of like a a washed out albinism to the character. There are jewels at the head at the head of each pin that's in his head and stuff. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) Um, I think that, um, I mean, Jennifer, if we're talking about ethics, like the Cenobites, it's a difficult ethical question. But I think that he's kind of, he has this regal aloofness and. He just I don't know, he he's almost so classy that he's insulting your lowness, but at the same time, he doesn't i don't know it's, it's difficult to explain. but whatever it is, Pinhead of the movies had it, and it was actually an improvement on the character in my opinion. It was an improvement on the character. That's why it's so difficult that it was such a conflict for me when that happened. Because they took the improvement, because in the book, in the Scarlet Gospels book, he didn't return to the look of the original character, whoever the author was, if it was Clive Barker, I have no idea, something happened to the man, he went, he went through a lot of physical problems, and the mental problems that come through, uh, you know, with that, and all types of stuff. And it's possible that he wrote this big book and it was truncated by the people who were putting it out. I have no idea. But the character that you see in the book is the character from the film in looks. He's described as the character from the film. All of the elements from the film are there and then he starts to speak and then he starts to act and then you realize that this isn't the character and the book when you're saying that like this this is the death of pinhead and this is the culmination of the story uh and you're not it was almost like some sort of strange slash fiction or like some kind of fan-made book using this character and just making it grimy and uh, ruining kind of like the, the grandeur of the character. So what kind of came to mind for me was when you have something that the, the general public, the viewing public, who hasn't read the book... When you have, when you find that there's something that they latch onto, and it did with me. I think I think that the character is is as iconic as you can get. Because, and I think he said this in an interview. He wasn't going. He was going for awe. When you saw these things happening, even though it was low budget, and he was walking through the walls, um, and it was just kind of like pegboard walls moving and light sh- shining through it. You had this feeling of the rending of the fabric of reality, not this slasher film. Um, and when it comes to the rules, uh, Jennifer, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I, and that I mean, maybe I'm a hypocrite because I just didn't get far enough. But I scoured the internet for anything that made me think that I was misunderstanding what was happening there. And I defy anybody to read the Hellbound heart and read the prologue of that book and tell me that there hadn't been a cheapening and it's, it's horrible, but that was the point of the whole episode. It didn't have anything to do with books to movie transition and, and how it's, how it's wrong or whatever. It has to do with, did someone, is this like a PNR thing? Is this something happening where someone thinks this is what the public wants? They're still renting those horrible videos that we're tacking Hellraiser onto. They want blood and guts. They want more blood and guts. They, they want this horrific torture porn. So we're just going to infuse, uh, we're going to infuse, Pinhead with this at the beginning of the film or at the beginning of the book rather. But that's the thing when you're, when you're reading the book and Pinhead walks in, you think, okay, this looks like the guy. Is this really supposed to be the guy? Like I almost wondered if there was some sort of entity that was trying to impersonate him. And that was going to be the whole thing. Um, but if you if you put in scarlet gospels uh, ghost written you'll see all types of articles on that and i hadn't read a one not one before i read that that little piece of that book that i and that was the first thing that struck me was that something's wrong something is wrong um but that's the that's the point of the whole episode i'm totally this is this is an emotional thing for me when someone slights a character, lowers a character that has that has a rich history, uh, whether or not it is kind of, hey Stu, or uh, Kevin, hey Kevin, what's up? Um, I think that uh, when you have this public opinion of something, you have to have a curator. Like, it almost seems like they knew that the public had a, a fandom, but they didn't consult the fandom or, I mean, apparently the guy who's been doing these later movies is a fan, but it just so happens that he's, um, the, 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 okay. When it comes to the torture porn thing, I'm talking about the very beginning of this book. Like, I honestly think that the only movie that even had that flavor was the newest one. I think it's called like revelation or something where they tried to integrate like kind of saw esque stuff or like seven S stuff in there. And the, I mean, there's no doubt about it. The Cenobites are torturing people, but it's just different. And I think it's kind of like that X factor with, with this story. Um, and it's just so perfectly balanced that you can't counterfeit it. You don't understand it. I can't say that I fully understand it, but I know it when I see it. So, um, the question becomes: When the public makes um, makes their decisions, how how often? I mean. There's always a risk. There's a risk with anyone liking anything because when you're trying, you know, when someone tries to replicate it, um, you know, if you can only see certain parts of it, you're going to get something wrong. You kind of have to have the whole tapestry in order to have the same feeling. Now, I'm not saying that everything has to be perfect. Everything is not going to be perfect, especially if you do like the hellbound heart, it was probably meant to be one and done. It just so happened, and that's the point. It just so happened that the movie was insanely popular. And then people met this character that they hadn't read the book, and then they went back and read it. And I'm sure they weren't disappointed because you have the world there. It's there. There's no doubt about it. And you, you feel it in the film, and it's enhanced by the book. And that's, always, that's the way the best things happen. But there are other cases that I had in my mind that I thought of to bring up here, and I think one of the most famous is uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. When it comes to public opinion shaping the future of a character, his has got to be, you know, one of the biggest, one of the, you know, the champion because when you have uh, a character like Sherlock Holmes and he wanted to go on to different things. He wanted to do historical dramas, you know, with some comedy and maybe a little bit more of a Jules Vernean type of thing with his professor, uh, professor Challenger books, The Lost World and um, The Disintegration Machine, things like that. He wanted to do that, and he thought that he had gone the distance with this character. To him, I mean, it's still a character, it's a beloved character. But I don't think that he quite realized like how important this character was and how ingrained he was. I mean, even to think about it now, how many characters stand the test of, I mean, 1880s to now? Whatever that is. And so he kills off Sherlock Holmes. He has him go over Reichenbach with Moriarty. The absolute... Yeah, he got locked. Jeez. Are you a cumber babe? Is that what it is? cumber bitches, I don't even know what they're called, but um, the Benedict slaves. Um, so then he he gives him a grand exit. Uh, you couldn't have asked for a better exit for the character. but the public went crazy. They went absolutely insane that this character was gone. And I think if I remember correctly, I can't remember how many years it was. It's something like two or four years. Um, he was forced to bring back the character. And, you know, he did it masterfully. Masterfully. Totally. Um, and a lot a lot of great stuff came out of the ending of what they call the great hiatus. The hiatus of Watson and, and Holmes. Um, you're not going to find a bigger Sherlock Holmes fan. In book form anyway but it kind of raises the question of course you want people to like things and you're going to want this sort of love for someone for a character that you've created and, and built but at what point do you allow it to kind of like sway your better judgment I mean what happened with the scholar gospels was it something where he did Clive Barker really feel like Pinhead had a, a final chapter that needed to be told. It's hard to say. Um, did he feel like pressure to do it? It's hard to say. I mean, uh, I I thought of two more. I don't know how we're getting on there, but um, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's just the that's Holmesians. I mean, I what would I have done? In the, same, in the same position? Would I have picketed and lettered and pamphleted the Strand Magazine? Would I have gone crazy and hung myself with a deerstalker hat? Like, I don't know. I have no idea. Because, like, it is over now. I mean, well, it's not even over now. See, that's the thing. Like, you know, the fans who care have, have brought it along. They have curated uh, even more pastiches and things for the future. So, like, but it works, though. Nine times out of ten, they at least have the tone right. But in a case like Rambo, for instance, David Morrell, he wrote Rambo, uh, you know, after he was watching what was going on in television uh, about Vietnam and, and uh, some other atrocities that had occurred and stuff. And he wanted to write a book about um, a Vietnam veteran who struck back, but really, if you think about it, the original story, if you read the book, um, and in the movie, I mean, they Rambo was always the guy who came home to, uh, dishonor. He was disgraced by the, by the people that for some reason, for some reason, the people wanted to have somebody to blame for the war. So, and they have actually absolutely done it. So it was, it was a definite statement about the Vietnam war and the damage that, uh, happened to the people who fought in it. But there's no doubt about it. None whatsoever. John Rambo in that book is a terrorist. Flat out. He invites the trouble. I mean, granted, he had been through a bunch of trouble in those books. And it mostly had to do with his appearance. And he said, no more. He took a conscious stance. This wasn't a victim. He wasn't going to be a victim again. That's the whole point of the story. And the story, for anyone who... I love the First Blood movie. I love it. With the passions. Great. Um, but the book is much different. Heroes don't win. Even if the victory is the wholesale slaughter of a town and uh, just r- raising it to the ground, which is what occurs in that book. And, and to some degree, the movie, too. But as it went along, in the film, For the better, I think in a lot of ways, for the better. In the first film and First Blood, you got to see the absolute pain and the destruction of a of a human psyche by war, and trying to come back to find any sort of tenderness and finding nothing but door slammed in his face and just being degraded everywhere he went on foot, you know. Um, but it all wasn't hunky. I mean, it was it wasn't hunky dory either way you slice it. But at the end of the movie you felt for him. He was a hero to you, despite having taken on a police force. And I'm not sure if they really I don't I can't remember if they actually confirmed that the uh the police chief in that movie was dead or alive at the end. I I think he had to have been dead. He was just riddled with bullets. But still at the end you didn't feel for the chief, you felt for the man, you felt for John Rambo. But then And, and this is that whole thing that I said in the preface, you know, there are times and there are signs of the times. There are waves and frequencies that, that run through eras. And when you go from a movie like first blood, which makes insane money and it's Stallone and it's an action film and everybody just goes wild over it. Then you make Rambo first blood part two. And you take the terrorist who then at the beginning of that film was in incarcerated. He's in like, uh, he's doing manual labor. It's like a labor camp type of jail, federal prison. And then he becomes the Uber Patriot. Whereas before he was disillusioned with the whole, he wanted the solidarity solidarity of his team and the solidarity of, um, the comradeship that you can sometimes find in war. But then all of those sentiments are dropped for this uber patriotism of first blood part two. And then Rambo becomes the symbol of, uh, Americans versus the Ruskies and stuff during that time of the eighties, you know, with Rocky four and all that jazz. And the point that came up in my mind about that was oh my god kevin you haven't seen wait are you saying you haven't seen first blood or you haven't seen rambo part two i mean i love rambo part two as well but the the character of rambo has totally shifted due to and that's the thing it's shifted due to this um opinion of the time what are you doing Oh, I appreciate that. Somebody trying to make something easier for me to read. I appreciate that, buddy. Well, so you don't I'm have a, to I'm it a dick. Um, no. But, Does that help out a lot? Or yes, it totally helps. Um, I was going to do this. Okay. But the... <laughs> <What>? <laughs> oh, I just I just saw your sleeve. Because uh-huh. um, we're one a little bit of a lag. Not too bad. But it's like 15 or the point is though and why that came to mind is um, I found out later after I had read the first blood book which is awesome it is well well worth it and um, it almost makes me forget about reading creepers um, look back in my uh, in my past archive of of shows and uh, find the one where I'm talking about Morrell or uh, I guess creepers it probably I probably put I don't know I'm not sure I probably put Morrell, but you'll see how pissed I got about that but um, then probably one of the strangest yeah I did Jennifer what do you think about that noise um he did one of the strangest things I've ever heard of which is, and, okay, before I go any further, First Blood book, spoiler alert. There's going to be a major spoiler if you're not familiar with kind of like the history of the First Blood movie, the history of the First Blood book, or have read the book. So, I'm giving you the count of five. Five, four, three, two, one. Rambo gets his head blown off in the end of First Blood, the book. By his own Colonel Troutman. Shoots him in the fucking head. Oh, hey Jennifer, I thought I warned you about that book, so uh, you're welcome. Um, so, one of the weirdest things I'd ever heard of happened. Somehow, and I have read the book, but I'm dying to read the beginning of that book now. Somehow, David Morrell, the writer of First Blood 1, comes on to write the movie adaptation book for Rambo First Blood Part 2. So you have the author who wrote a book, killed off a character at the end of the book. He comes on to write the book of the movie adaptation and somehow deals with a character that he killed once already. And somehow acts like he's still alive in that book. That is weird. I've never ever heard of that happening. And he cares about that character. On his uh, on his Facebook account, he refers to himself as Rambo's father. And I mentioned that before too. I think it's weird. But it's just weird that you would take over... I mean, maybe he felt like he couldn't trust anyone else to do it. But at some point you have to go, this doesn't make any sense. And this is just weird. And this is kind of, I mean, I hate to say it because I don't know the guy and I don't know what the circumstances were around it, but that seems like the height of selling out to me. If you wrote a book and the guy died in it and he was the protagonist or, I mean, I guess in that case he's, he's a pro antagonist. You know, he's the lead, but he's a stone-cold killer at the same time. So that's the question. Like, how far does it go? Like, when do people back off? When do authors fold under the pressure and end up giving the people what they think they want? But most of the time, it seems to me like it would be a monumental shit show whenever it's done. If 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 you're if you manage to do something just to give the people what they want, without uh without engaging in any kind of thoughtful story. I mean like this is slightly off topic, but when I read that Krasinski was doing a uh a Quiet Place sequel, I was like how? Why? And then the why becomes obvious. Yeah. Gotta get that fucking shadow, right? I mean, I'm sure that Krasinski and Blunt together don't make enough money for a continent. But then, you know, I read somewhere that he said he wasn't going to do it. They asked him to do it. He was going to do it unless he felt like he had a story that was worth it. So... Apparently he's got a story that's worth it. I don't know how that could possibly work. And, um, yeah, kill. Yeah. 20 days. later. Killian Murphy's supposed to be on it. I think he's gonna be the I'm not way off topic because the topic is like how opinion can sway writers into these foul fucking waters. But there is hope. There is hope. And, uh, hi, Jennifer. And it comes from Psycho. Robert Block's Psycho. Um, I was kind of trying to think of a counterpoint to all this stuff. And Psycho is the best one that I can think of. Because anyone who's ever read the book Psycho knows about the movie Psycho. And you'd have to know, you know, the difference. And the difference is, in the book, Norman Bates is an overweight, balding, middle aged man. And in the film, it's Anthony Perkins, who was in the uh in the prime of his acting career and threw it into the toilet making that movie because he would forever be known as that character. Which is kind of like uh it's kind of like the curse of of the icon when you, I mean, Anthony Hopkins managed to wriggle out of it. Um, but that was so successful that transcended so many things The the horror Oscar winner, I mean, I think Jordan Peele has been the only guy who has really slayed that dragon since, as far as I can tell. Um, that was a long time coming for that. So, um, Psycho is the best outcome that I can think of because it just so happens that I love the Psycho sequel movies. Um, and I think it's because the first one was an absolute masterpiece. So, I don't know who was asking for the second one. Um, but when they made it, I think that they, they put their tongue really firmly in their cheeks and it worked out. But the interesting part is, is that, you know, this is, a, it was a different time. It wasn't like it is now, but at the same time, Uh, Robert Block wanted to write a sequel to Psycho and his sequel actually came out or was coming out before uh, the Psycho 2 film sequel and Universal's tried to squash his book because, and I read a little bit of the book today um, just for kind of fact checking because I didn't remember them really mentioning what, Uh, Norman Bates looked like in that book. He had definitely mentioned in the first book. So it makes me wonder if he uh, intentionally left it out so he wouldn't have to answer for it. The people would make up their own mind, which one they preferred and everybody would be happy. You wouldn't have to worry about uh, someone saying that, you know, he doesn't look like a a fat old middle-aged man. He looks like, you know, he's like this felt young man. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing to this character that I love that I paid, you know, whatever it would have been then, two bucks to go see at the film. Like, how are you going to mess with my beloved character that way? In this way, it was the perfect compromise because they ended up making the movie. It was not based on his book. They came out completely separately and everybody was fine. He ended up making a third book. And maybe even a fourth one, but I definitely remember the the two sequels to Psycho, and um, they just kind of parted ways. And the film version was the film version, and the book version was the book version. He wasn't on bent knee to try to uh, to try to placate anybody for his own character. And it's great. I would love. Uh, it would be. I mean, it'd be total heresy. But I would love to see someone make a book-faithful psycho film. That would be awesome. Get some Toby Jones in there. Uh, if anybody uh, doesn't know who Toby Jones is, he's the guy. He was the cashier in The Mist, and he played uh, Arnim Zola in, um, in Captain America, First Avenger, and then later on, The Winter Soldier. Uh, so he would just be like this little guy, be bespectacled guy, you know kind of balding and yet he would uh he would do something much uh more horrific to Marion Crane in the shower than they ever did in the film and uh it would be very interesting and um I would have liked to have seen them try that in Bates Motel but I think that in a lot of ways they found they found a group of people who were willing to make a prequel that stood up uh, to the test of the audience. But that's basically why I came out tonight. Um, I don't think I've ever... Because I love me some Bernard Herrmann. Uh, Natalie was talking about the score to Psycho. Uh, but then again, Bernard, Bernard Herrmann never did a score that wasn't completely fantastic and iconic. And if you if you really want to get a thrill... Listen to Danny Elfman's first early uh, compositions next to Bernard Herrmann's stuff, and you'll find that he was insanely, uh, insanely inspired by Bernard Herrmann. But the point of the thing is, how far can the love of an audience go... Before it ruins the character that they went there to see or read to begin with. Um, and personally, I think that it's all on the author. Um, you, and, but there's this mystery about what happened to Clyde Barker though. There's no answer. As far as I can tell, I looked all over the place to see if maybe he came out and he said, look, I wrote half the thing. I was on my deathbed. I needed to have someone finish it so I could, you know, even out my contract with whoever he's got a contract with. Because all you ha- it, it takes, I mean, it'll take some time, but it wouldn't take a whole lot of effort to look at the body of his work and see the thing that doesn't connect. One of these things is not like the other. All you'd have to do is read Great and Secret Show or Everville or Imajika or anything read anything of his and put the Scarlet Gospels up next to it and see if there's a difference. And I think it's instantaneous. It's instantaneous for me. So, um, is there an answer? I don't think there's an answer because as long as people, uh, love money and as long as there are companies that like to make money off of people who do art, thank God are there. But a lot of times it's more trouble than it's worth. Um, At some point, they may ask you or not even ask you and just try to make changes or suggestions or uh, some sort of aggressive suggestions um, and change your character. I mean, it all depends on how much you care. Um, Because caring is at the heart of it. When you have people who are so insanely uh, obsessed with how something comes out, I mean, now is the worst time that ever existed when it comes to nitpicking of creative work. Uh, People go through everything with a fine tooth comb with a microscope attached to it. You can't get, you can't make a mistake, not one mistake. And granted, I mean, if you people, you know, sometimes say you. You should have found this because you've looked you had to have looked at this a thousand times. Well, as with everything else, it's the act of looking at something a thousand times that's going to let you miss something because you think you've seen it all already. So, did they think they were doing right by changing these things? Did I mean, I suppose that in Rambo's case, they figured, "Well, he died in the book already. So the Rambo that keeps going on is a different character altogether. And they, you know, never the twain shall meet. They're mutually exclusive until you get the author who wrote the original damn book to, to write the adaptation. How could you do that as a creator of a character after you've lived with a character? I mean, everyone's different. Things take longer. Things take shorter time, but I would like to think that he lived with that character for at least a year. Trying to, you know, think his thoughts and and feel his feelings. Now all of a sudden he's going to turn him into, like, Uber Patriot after he was fighting against a man in the first book. And then all of a sudden he's wanting to, you know, to go to war. I mean, they kind of had a thinly veiled um, bring him back alive with the POW camps and stuff. But when it comes down to it, he was laying waste to everybody he could find. So it's it's an argument that you have to make but you're never gonna win uh it's a problem that you can't solve and that's why i was so damn nettled and i had to talk about it even though it's just a it's a circular thing it's a circular thing and each link is connected by money and um and upvotes by the mob there are very few times when you can say, man, I like this character this way. And even though, you know, someone took over my work for a minute and they made one change and people love that above all else. But now I'm back and I want to take, I want to reclaim my stuff, but you don't do that thing that was changed because it wasn't your, it wasn't your inkling. So, then you either have to do it, or perish, or just hand it over to someone else. Who does? I mean, it makes me wonder what. I mean, I suppose when it comes down to it, you could put Luke Skywalker into that camp. Um, because there were people who were completely up in arms about the change to his character, including the actor who played the character. So. At what point whose voice is loudest? And it seems to me that so far it's the person with the most expensive megaphone. So there is no answer. This was a. I mean, I guess you could call this a a hyp. You know, hypothetical situation. There's no ending. There are beginnings. There are tons of beginnings and. Uh, I was kind of hoping that somebody would throw another one at me uh, they could think of, but I probably could, didn't let anyone get a word in edgewise anyway. What about the, the story movie that's coming out? The what movie? The story movie. Story movie? The haunted stories. Uh, yeah. Oh, you mean the scary stories telling dark? Yeah. Um, I, it's going to yeah, be, a, yet, but... that's going to be a difficult one for me. I think that, and I've had many conversations. It's kind of a shame that Jennifer went to bed because um, we've had many conversations that scary stories to tell in the dark is not just the writing, it's the art as well. When they change the artist, and the name isn't coming to me right now. And it looks like uh, that Guillermo, I mean, is Garammo directing it? I thought he just produced it. It's hard to say. Which one has more power, the producer or the director? It's hard to say there, too. But, I mean, I've seen the picture of that lady, like, in the hall. And it looks a lot like the art. But, in this case, it's one of those really rare situations where something is two-dimensional and you're making it three-dimensional. When you're reading the story, you are taking the art into your own head and you're giving it another dimension. So when someone else, no matter how well-meaning they are, even Guillermo, I love Guillermo del Toro. That guy is like a fantastical genius. However, when you let someone else give it a third dimension, it's not going to be your third dimension. So... If it's in color even. With those books, it was black, white, gray, and red. And that's all you had. If I would have been him, it would have been so simple, Andrew. Right? It would have been so simple. I'm totally engaging Andrew right now. I was <laughs> trying to figure out. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, this other guy named Andrew. Um No, I'm, I'm kidding. But why not do it in black and white? with like splashes of red that's not appealing to mass audiences these days though. but it makes me wonder I mean the Sin City experiment was pretty cool at the time I'm not so sure it holds up now but that was this um, amplified view of black and white I wonder I'm going to do it that's what I'm going to do I think that what I'm going to do is, when I get that movie, I'm going to turn off the color on my TV. <laughs> is there a filter on it? Or something. Um, because I did that with... I can't remember what I what did. they do it with The Mist? The Mist had a black and white version, though. So I can't remember what I did it with. But I turned off the color on something that I thought was good, supposed to be black and white or that I thought might be better black and white and man it, does it ever work but I mean like I love black and white movies so that's the difference but I think if anyone who's ever experienced and loved those books tried that it makes me wonder and people are going to be all pumped because it may I mean who knows man it's, it may be older people who are telling these guys about how awesome these books were it seems to me that all you have to do is find those books. Telling someone isn't going to do it. You have to put it down in front of them. And they have to be... I mean, people who have experienced it younger have that same feeling. I always thought that art was gripping as hell. And those stories um, for the time period and with that art, like, there was no creepypasta pasta. Like, this was that stuff. Um, and as far as I can tell, anyone who had ever experienced those books never forgot them. And I haven't. Um, there have been multiple people uh, who have given me copies in one way or another of that, um, knowing knowing how much I love that stuff. and um, But that's also a question. I mean, sometimes, I mean... Maybe, and this is getting more into movies than I would have liked, but um, King Kong. Peter Jackson makes King Kong, and he put his everything into that movie. But somehow it just didn't work in a lot of ways. There are a lot of people who like the movie, but I do think that the same amount of people would say, if you change some things... I think that it was good, but it could have been great. And I wonder sometimes if part of the problem wasn't this great love of the material. You've got to kill some darlings, man. Like, that's why it's taken everything I've got, and I mentioned this in the preface too. It's taken everything I've got, but I've had to find the good in, uh, in remakes, and in adaptations of books to film. Or comics to film. I've had to do it. Because it is absolutely going to happen. And keep happening. So you have to find it. And I, I've been told by people lately. That I've been really super negative. About some of the films that have been coming out. And I don't prefer that. I would much rather find appreciation of, of whatever I can find and, you know, and stuff. I mean, there are rare occasions. Um, I mean, I guess you could say that Watchmen would fall into that category. And I love the Watchmen film and there's all kinds of changes to that, but tonally it affected me the same way. So I think that's the, that's what you have to look for. You have to see if anything from the previous incarnation matches with the current incarnation, or the different medium, whatever you can find. You have to find a connection, but tonally uh, between the two. It has to be the subtlety, because if you, if all of a sudden Batman doesn't have any ears on his head, yeah, but they said like Pet Sematary is going to be like the best adaptation that ever of Stephen King's work. People are saying there are people who are saying, and I'm saying they because I don't know exactly who, but I have seen uh, people coming out and saying that Pet Cemetery is the best adaptation of a Stephen King work. There are three things that I've seen about that so far. I've seen people say that it's the best adaptation of his work. I've seen an article that said nothing but how gory it was. That was the second thing I saw. And the third thing I saw was that people said it was going to be the best adaptation, and then it, even though, all of the changes that they had made. So. Okay, so there is a lot of changes in this work, though, every time. So. I think that you have to uh, find the changes that are improvements. You have to look at something and say, hey, or like for instance, like Sherlock Holmes. That's another thing. I thought they got so much more right than they did wrong in the Downey films. And it's completely different flavor. Completely. But if you look at it from uh, from a reader's point of view, Watson was ten billion times better than any uh, any other iteration of Watson that's ever been portrayed because he wasn't a buffoon. And you know they did that in the show as well, you know. He was not an idiot. So you have to have this, these, you have to get more elements right than you got wrong. And I think if you, if you do that, you're not going to have as many complaints. Now it's the era of complaint. Someone's going to find a complaint. But. I mean, if you, if you, if the character looks completely different, if they're in a completely different environment. But you feel the character. Like Batman, somehow, the Michael Keaton Batman felt more like Batman than any other Batman that's ever Batmaned for me. The Dark Knight even? Even the Dark Knight. Because Christian Bale didn't have the mystique. He had some of the detective stuff. He had a lot of gadgetry and whatnot. And physicality, he had. But... If you're missing the mystique of the symbol of the, you know, of this demon that people think exists, it's not all going to be there. And that's why, you know, there can be improvements. The Dark Knight is another example. If you have a character where you can find elements and you can amplify them, but not to the point where it's just like a fever pitch and it's not the same character anymore. I. e. Jared Leto. Um, there has to be some a joker or somewhere. There's well, one that's like a thuggish joker, I forget his name. But that's the thing though, like and that's another example where you have the public for instance, Harley Quinn. I've been on that train since it began in the cartoon or in the, uh, the animated series or whatever. All of a sudden you turn into a butt slut and that's the only Harley Quinn that anyone sees after that. Because for whatever reason, I don't know if it ended up being like a cosplay fanaticism where you would just want to feel sexy, look sexy. So you pick whatever and you want to have some kind of crazy ass dude that, um, Uh, abuses the shit out of you and you find some sort of uh, cool in that. I don't know who the fuck thinks that, but they do. It exists all over the place. So when you do see the, the original Harley Quinn cosplayers and stuff, for whatever reason, they stick out like a sore thumb now. So, you have to be careful where you allow changes, but you must... I've got this strange contradictory opinion where it's like don't do it unless you do it right but if you can do it right go ahead and please do it. Right? Yeah. But, that it's itse- but that in and of itself but that in of itself is subjective though. Yeah. How am I going to say something is necessarily wrong unless it's tonally wrong? I think that's the only way you can do it. You have to say well this Batman wasn't as muscular. But damn, man, when he was in a room, I felt like the, I felt that same thing like I feel when I'm looking at the comics. But he's like five feet tall and he's not muscular. He had something that the character has in the comics that no one else has had who has muscles on... I mean, that's just like with Superman. Henry Cavill had muscles upon muscles. Ripped and wriggling. And somehow, I never felt that motherfucker with Superman. So it's. And outside of the. Like, in this case, with the Hellbound Heart versus the Scarlet Gospels, it was a tonal hammer. It was a complete bastardization of the character. And not even just the character of the original work, it was this strange amalgamation, amplification of the, whatever you'd call it, of the film version that left out all the things about the film version that made it a rightful improvement on the original character. It was horrific. I couldn't get through it. Um, and past all of that, The writing wasn't the same. I'm not saying that he took chances. It would have been different if he had. They weren't chances. They were cheap thrills. And that's not what you get from that writer. You just don't. You never have. And as far as I can tell, you never will. Something happened with that book. But I'll never know. And maybe no one ever will. And, you know, maybe that's the point. Maybe you have to... I am not good at picking battles. I'm horrifically bad at picking battles. So maybe that's something that, that needs to happen, that needs to be learned. If a char- you have to enjoy the character you once knew, and you have to forego the gratification of uh, a continuation of the character that you loved. And if someone else has bastardized a character that you loved you have to give that character to them. So anyway, I think that's about all I could because it's it's just a it's a circle. It's a it's a ouroboros constantly eating its own tail when it comes to you trying to foist your subjective opinions on someone despite the quality of uh, of what you liked in the first place. That really I don't think it can be denied. Maybe it can though, because that's just my opinion. But anyway, I thought it was a vital uh, topic to come back to the diabolical index for, uh, despite no, um, no real answers, only more questions and uh, an insane amount of uh, um, options and examples. But anyway, uh, thank you for joining me tonight for the Diabolik Index uh, number 11. Entry number 11. After all the uh, episodes 0 plus 1s and the special editions, uh, we're back to the numbers again. And next time I will have something that might contain a conclusion in there somewhere um, that can't be kind of written off as personal preference or what have you. So, beware weary your human heart. This is a Diabolical Index for Monday, April 1st. I know I wondered out there if a lot of you thought this was a big prank. Um, but all I can say is the only prank is me. Uh, so, you have a good one? Oh, thanks, Roman. Uh, Roman Jessart. The man with the plan. Um, back again. 605. As I said, Indiegogo. Ba- make sure you check them out for Horrors and Fiends. I think I got it right wrong the first time around. Horrors and Fiends. Uh, Indiegogo. Stranded. Check out Sean Burkett's Bigfoot Epic. Uh, make sure to tune in to Heckles and Horror tomorrow night, uh, Tuesday, 7 p.m. And pick up on whatever they're throwing down for that. I think they're doing an auction, too. Oh, are they? Oh, man, they are. Okay, yeah, so... Sorry. Sorry, Roman. Yeah, go to um the Indiegogo for Horrors and Fiends because they've got paintings. And I thought I saw... Um, I thought I saw... What was it, Stripe? Who was the first gremlin, evil gremlin? Was that Stripe or Mohawk? That was, I think it was Stripe. I think it was... Or actually, now that I think about it, I think that was Gizmo in that painting. That was, There was like a receptionist. a receptionist. Oh, oh, was it uh, was it Janine from Ghostbusters? No, 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 no. The receptionist gremlin that has like. A- oh, the gremlin from yeah, from uh, Gremlins too. Had the big old lips. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely check out the Indiegogo's for um, for fiends and horror, and for Thursday nights. Okay. Go over to that Thursday night's next auction for, uh, horrors and fiends. Damn it! I even I talked to him way before that shit ever went down. I'm getting it wrong. Anyway, uh, go to Indiegogo. Check them out. Studio Six Hundred Five and such a cavalcade of filmmakers on that one. All kinds of creative evil over there, and the return of uh, of a favorite of mine. Bigfoot for Stranded with Sean Burkett. Heckles and Horror TJ will be breaking down the auction tomorrow night at 7. It is actually zombie month, so definitely tune in to her show. Saturdays 9.30 Central, 10.30 Eastern. Uh, I am going to bug out. Thank you, Andrew Moore, for having me back in the remains of the Nuthouse. I think it, uh, he's putting the, the, the total axe to it in the next week or so. I'm going to see if I can sneak back in before then. We'll see. I don't know. Uh, But thank you for tuning in, as always, and um, keep it squirrely. Do you like zombies, video games, and risking your life from the comfort of your own home? Then tune into Ashley's Zombie, Saturdays, 9.30 Central, 10.30 Eastern Standard Time, only on Magic Squirrel Network.